purpose of this is to bring some good notes and good stories from our uh, crazy world right now that we live in and everything going on. And I would just like to say that we have uh, a chance to, to, to share some great stories and let people hear what's going on and in their communities and all over across the United States. And this is a, a group of optimists, part of Optimist International. And uh, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Mr. Russ Thomas, and my other co-host, Mr. Nick Prilliman, and our first featured guest on the history of optimism, who wrote a wonderful book that was published in our uh, centennial year of optimism, Mr. Dave Bruins. You know, <laughs> I, uh, I thought we should start off. I, I'm a guy, a sucker for um, inspirational quotes. And this is one I've lived through when I was a president of my local optimist club. And it goes, uh, I am an optimist. It does not seem too much use being anything else. That was quoted from the great Winston Churchill. And of course, <laughs> in the dark times, I've used that in my personal life as well as my optimist life. So I will let start the conversation off by turning it over to, to Russ, telling him, telling us what he does for Optimus International and a little bit about his Optimus story. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, first, uh, I, I, my, you know, I, I think my best and in, in, in best position I've ever held really is just being an Optimist. And I've held many positions since that, but, uh, you know, there's no better feeling than being an Optimist. And I think that's really what a lot of what our stories are about. But, and I wish I had a, a real uh, great story that was exciting to talk about how I got to be an optimist, but we all got to be there different ways, right? But uh, my, mine was out of frustration. My neighbor just kept bugging me and bugging me and bugging me. And, 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 and I became an optimist just to, just to kind of quiet things down. So no matter how we get there and why we get there, a lot of times the important thing is that we are there. And uh, I, I've been, I've, I've, my life has really changed in the last 13, 14 years. So uh, I got to tell you, it's a, it's a wonderful experience. And, and if everybody could feel like I do, right, just by getting up in the morning, smiling, feeling good about yourself, I, you'll be able to share that optimism and people are going to feel good with you. And uh, I'll, I'll just pass it on over to Nick. Thank you, Russ. Uh, well, my, uh, I'm, pa I'm a past international president of Optimus International and, uh, I guess the, uh, the beginning of my story is that uh, uh, I went to an optimist meeting. I was invited. I didn't know what an optimist me uh, optimist club was or what optimism was. I was invited to go to a meeting, and I actually went to the meeting to uh, to tell them thank you, but no thank you. And uh, I'm sitting in this meeting, and this gentleman gets up in front of us, and he starts talking about uh, what optimists did, about our working with children, about all the things that. Uh, that we did in the community or the, the organization did in the community. And then he got to the part about uh, talking about, he said, I promise you, if you will come and give us just a little bit of your time, uh, we'll make you a better person. And I thought to myself, gosh, who, who doesn't want to be a better person? And so I joined up and uh, I had only planned to be a member. And uh, here 36 years later, I, uh, I'm a past international president. It's been a unbelievable experience. And anybody that gets involved in optimism, uh, I promise you, you're going to have a great experience. Well, I know there's some, uh, I think my story is a little bit more unusual. When I first joined an optimist club, I know that uh, I've talked about this with Nick when he first reached out to me when I was becoming a club president, but I was 17 at the time before I became 
they wouldn't even let me join the Optimus Club because I was too young, if you can believe that. I was a senior in high school, and I was driving my pickup home from something I was doing at school, and it said, do you like helping children in your community? Well, then you should consider being an optimist, an uptown optimist. And I remember pulling my pickup over to the side of the road, and I went in, and I wrote the number down, and I called, and they said, yeah, we meet at the this restaurant here in our town. Come see us. We'll have a good time. And I don't think I didn't think they realized how young I was because I walked into our uh, to the restaurant, went downstairs, and they said, "There's a bunch of older gentlemen sitting on the tables." And they said, "Can we help you?" I said, "Yeah, I called about joining this Optimus Club." And I think about six of them had a heart attack or a stroke right there in the middle. <laughs> I was the youngest person ever walked through the door. So, um, but that was uh, the beginning of my Optimus journey. A month later, when I turned 18, I joined, and it's been a amazing ride ever since i went on to become the president of our club at the one time which is one of the or at the one time i'd been one of the biggest clubs in Optimus international with 187 members when i left and i was very very fortunate to make distinguished president and then also a centennial distinguished president which i was very proud of my club had my back the whole time and i was very thankful for my Optimus journey because we sure had one heck of a ride when i was president so um, Dave, what, how about your Optimus experience? How'd you get involved with us and some of the stuff you've done? Well, I was not quite as young as you when I joined my Optimus club. I was 23, but uh, in many ways, I've been an optimist my whole life. Uh, my father was an optimist uh, from the time I was a child. My mother belonged to the old Optimuses organization, and I played Optimus sports originally as a child, uh, in particular, uh, Although I played a lot of sports, the one that really comes to mind that Optimus played an important role in was they brought soccer to Kansas City in the 1960s. At that time, soccer was certainly not as prevalent as it is now. And so if it was not for the Optimus, uh, I don't know who would have started a, a soccer league. But uh, the program of Optimus International that kind of changed my life was uh, the oratorical contest and I have to tell you, I was uh, a lot more interested in sports, uh, starting to get interested in girls and things. I was about 13, 12, 13 years old, and my dad convinced me to uh, get into the Optimist Oratorical Contest. I didn't really want to do it, but I'm so thankful that I did. I think it led uh, me to the career that I'm in now, uh, both first uh, as a lawyer and then as a judge. So that was so important. When I was in law school, a gentleman by the name of Bob Keeshan uh, knew that uh, my parents had been involved in Optimist, and uh, he asked me to join his club in Topeka, Kansas. And I was 23 years old, and I was still in law school. And he said, well, I'll pay your dues the first year, and all you have to do is, is promise me that you will continue on in Optimism. And I uh, told him, okay, uh, I'll continue on in Optimism once I get out of law school but I won't be active. I'm just doing this to, as a payback, to pay it forward because of what Optimist had done for me. Well, one of those things is true. I stuck with Optimist. The other one turned out to be a lie because I did become active. And like Nick, uh, I had the, uh, the good fortune of uh, being uh, Optimist International President in 2015-16. Uh, so uh, Optimism is just means family to me. It's meant family from the time I was born, and it continues to mean family to me. 
So yeah, that's the nice thing about Optimus is I don't think it, no matter where you go, you always have somebody you know that's in that organization at a local level. Also, you know, it's just I've had friends from all over the world because of the international. Uh, my district, which is the Alberta, Montana, Saskatchewan, Northern Wyoming district, is a true international district as we have parts of Canada and the United States in our district. So we've put on lots of road time and lots of memorable trips going to different things. The farthest I've ever drove for a district convention was eight hours one way. <laughs> From Great Falls, Montana to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Oh my God, the, we had such <laughs> a great time. It was 16 hours of driving. You really get to know your club members on an intimate level when you're in the locked in the car that long. So um, like I said, the purpose of this is to promote optimism in any way, shape, or form that we can. Um, this brainchild came to me, if you can believe it, sitting in a John Deere tractor in a feedlot. And <laughs> I was listening to a podcast thinking, gosh, there's some way we could probably get some good stories out. So I called Nick, said, hey, have you guys ever thought about doing this? He goes, boy, that's a really good idea. And he got in touch with Russ, who somehow flew me into charge of the project. So here we are <laughs> sitting here having such a great time, and I'm very, very excited for this. So, um, Dave, I know that when we were uh, doing our centennial year, uh, you were asked to do a, a history of, the, for, of Optimus International. Why don't you tell us how that project got started? Well, actually, uh, I was, uh, President Rebecca, uh, appointed me to be on the Centennial Committee. And basically we were just planning, uh, and I think Nick actually may have started it during his year as president. Uh, we were just planning for the convention, for the historical marker in Louisville to mark our centennial. And uh, as I started to uh, go back and read uh, uh, the, the book of deeds and dreams, of, or of dreams and deeds, excuse me, uh, and I noticed that it only covered up to 1966. So I thought it needed to be updated. So uh, just like you probably didn't volunteer for this task, but uh, Nick uh, saw your talents and, uh, and asked you to do it. Uh, uh, Rebecca asked me whether I would uh, be willing to, to update that book and uh, to kind of bring it forward. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. As I started doing my research, though, I found out there was a lot of uh, what I would call urban legend, uh, maybe some things that weren't real accurate because they didn't have the same resources on the Internet to do research that, that I was fortunate to have. I could go back and look at old newspaper articles and, and the charter documents and things. They were relying a lot in 1966 on going and, and uh, interviewing uh, people in their 80s and 90s trying to uh, remember what had happened back in uh, 1919 or even before. Uh, so it ended up to become a, a completely uh, a new book uh, starting actually from 1911 when the Buffalo Optimist Club uh, was started, uh, completely independent of Optimist International uh, up to uh, 2019. And, uh, and now little did we know that uh, we would write so much history just in the last year with the pandemic. So you were not really volunteer, but you were voluntold to do this. Kind of <laughs> I was kind of voluntold to do the update, and uh, and then I volunteered myself to go ahead and uh, 
write it write it from scratch to try to make sure that we have an accurate record. So when you in, when when your research started, you know what were, who were some of the first Optimus clubs that we had in Optimus International? Well, as I mentioned, the Buffalo Optimus Club in 1911 is the oldest one that started with Optimist International. Now, they didn't join Optimist International until 1923, but the Buffalo Club uh, means a lot to us because it did later become part of Optimist International, but also because even though it started with the theme of doing business with friends and, and more of a business organization, they quickly saw the need to do more, to reach out and to help the community. And they started holding Christmas parties for an orphanage. And they started to help youth. And they reached out. And by 1914, they had started clubs in Rochester and Syracuse, New York. And those clubs, from the time they were started, were started with the purpose of helping youth. And a uh, matter of fact, even delinquent youth, which would end up being important to Optimist International. Well, then World War II, or excuse me, World War I came uh, along. And first, of course, Canada got into uh, World War I, and then the United States followed suit. There's a different group of gentlemen in Indianapolis, Indiana, that know nothing about the New York optimist. And uh, they decided that what the world really needed in the face of, of this world war was the spirit of optimism. And they decided that not only should they have optimism in Indianapolis, where they were at, but that it should be spread throughout the United States. So they quickly uh, started uh, sponsoring new Optimist Clubs. The second one was in Louisville, Kentucky. Then they came to St. Louis, Kansas City, Denver, Milwaukee. And so by the end of 1917, and at that point, the United States is also in World War I, there were 25 optimist clubs from coast to coast. For, so on the east, Washington, D.C., to the west, to Los Angeles. But then not only did they get struck with war, but similar to what we're facing right now, they were struck with the flu pandemic. And so over those course of two years between war and pandemic, uh, 50 to 100 million people in the United States lost their lives. And the Optimist organization went from 25 clubs down to about 15 clubs. And they decided we need to do something, uh, not only for the United States, but for the whole world. So in June 1919, the clubs that were still surviving, 11 of them got together in Louisville, Kentucky, and formed what we now call Optimist International. And originally, as uh, President Nick uh, knows, and if you see behind me uh, here on, on those seeing the screen, uh, we use an octagon symbol, and that's because we initially had eight Optimist clubs uh, that joined Optimist International. And uh, that, I think, is uh, something that we should be proud of, is that uh, most of those eight Optimist clubs still exist, and they were in Indianapolis, Louisville, St. Louis, Milwaukee, Denver, Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas, and Chicago. And most of those clubs still exist to this day. Wow, that's pretty amazing. They, they had no idea what they, that they were all doing the same purpose. Of course, back then, they did not have the technology or the resources that we had to reach out to one another. Dave, you, Dave uh, one of the things that, uh, why, did, why did they decide to choose Optimism? Optimus is their name. 
Well, originally the Buffalo group decided because they thought it was a, it was very business oriented. Is that if I do business with friends and we like each other and we're positive, we will continue uh, to prosper. And they were kind of inward looking, but quickly started to look uh, to the community. But the Indianapolis optimist uh, that we probably more directly uh, come from, uh, they very much were looking at a philosophy of optimism in the face of a war and a pandemic. So a hundred years later, here we are in another pandemic, and I'm hoping that we uh, can get some more people inspired to do some things in our communities here across the entire United States and all over the world. I'm hoping. And and it's and it's so true. Uh, you know, Dave mentioned that. You know, back in 1911, 1914, 1920, you know, a, a lot of people felt they need to get together and share optimism. Well, you know, it, it can't be any more true today, right? I mean, we need to share optimism and, and be optimistic uh, about the things that go on in our life. And, and, and I believe the day that, uh, you know, so much hinges on our optimism and how well we can share it and, uh, and spread optimism. And I know just in a small informal group like this, uh, how much better I feel when I get off of these phones and off of these conference calls. I know we kid about these Zoom calls as to, uh, you know, how many we're on and, and how many you get off and and, and, uh, and uh, so much time invested. But, but every day and anytime I get involved in it, I feel so good about it. And, and, and if we could share that feeling, uh, you know, and these times with the pandemic is going on, you know, I think the best of the best of life is all ahead for us. So, you know, we, we just keep, keep going and keep, keep moving that direction. So I, I feel good about it. I feel good about it. Well, and Optimist clubs can do, you know, it's different on the local level for each, uh, you know, each club. Of course, my club treats it more like a business where we have Christmas trees that we sell every year and we run a parking lot striping program as one of our main fundraisers, where in the past we've gone on to make over $100,000 a year, turn around and give it back to our local community. Um, it's it's amazing. I can and there's tons of different fundraisers that we could talk about. Uh, a friend of mine who just started a new club in Okotoks, Canada. I never would have thought in a million years that you could launch pumpkins with a catapult to raise money for <laughs> kids. I and I'm not making this up. They have a, a pumpkin chucking the first year they had it, and it was fantastic success for this year during the pandemic, just because people were wanting to get outside and looking for something to do. I mean, it's just, uh, Russ, what are some of the fundraisers you guys do? Well, you know, we, uh, we, we do some of the traditionals, uh, you know, at Christmas time, we, we're still selling, uh, those little red flowers. What do you call those things? We're still selling those points at us. And that's not a very high profit margin, but it still is something that people are willing to buy. And, and, uh, we have a traditional golf, uh, tournament, which, uh, you know, really is a true testament of an optimist because, uh, as I was president of one of our clubs and, I said, well, how about we try something, make a little extra money, let something a little more than a than a dollar profit on a flyer. And, and I suggested the, uh, you know, golf tournament. And of course, as as soon as I said that, uh, you know how a lot of clubs are, they got those naysayers. Well, we had a whole bunch of naysayers that said, we tried it, it didn't work, and you're going to waste your time, energy, and money. And uh, lo and behold, the very first year that we did it, uh, you know, we made $20,000. And with that $20,000, we went to Children's Health Care of Atlanta, and uh, we provided a, a big check to them to help the children that have cancer. And those. So, you know, that was really uh, my defining moment, I would say, that, that, that I've had as an optimist 
you know, I came in screaming and, and struggling. But uh, when you get that defining moment and that thing touches your heart that, uh, you know, is why and how you uh, become alive with the optimism, you know, things turn different for you. And uh, I remember going down to the uh, the uh, children's health care and sitting out in the waiting room with a young uh, child. And and I thought, man, I'm in a cancer center. It's just terrible. And a little kid, uh, a little kid looked up at me and said, you know, I'm not sick anymore. And you talking about a, a tear jerking, heartfelt experience when that child told me that, uh, you know, they uh, he wasn't sick anymore. I, I knew exactly why I was an optimist and why I need to continue to be an optimist. And that's to change children's lives. And I've expanded that today to not only wanting to change children's lives, but our lives and my, my and the people that we deal with every day. And, and Nick's got some great stories about walking down the street in the morning and, and changing those people by just a positive little statement or a smile. And, uh, you know, so, but, but I mean, we just do a lot of different things. We got to try some different fundraisers now. And, and uh, I actually was talking to a club the other day, said they, they did a drive-by food program where you don't even got to get out of a car. You roll the window down and, you know, the optimists hand you a bag of uh, a bag of food and, and a, a little bit of line of, of uh, the creed and, and they move on down and, and it's, it's worked out real well. So uh, they didn't make money at that, but that was a program that they did. So, uh, you know, so many things that go on in our lives that uh, I wouldn't have been exposed to had it not been for people like Dave and, and Nick and, and those people that have mentored me through uh, my optimist career. So, you know, I think, I think you guys, and I think everybody that hopefully tunes into this uh, podcast, it's pretty exciting for me. We got we got you young guys in there, Shane and Sean. Sean's in there somewhere. We know we got you young guys in there. So I'm pretty excited about the future of where we're going and, and what we're going to uh, do. So I invite everybody back. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I guess I just talk way too much, don't I? <laughs> yes, you do. Well, you know, Shane, one of the things that you mentioned, which I, I really like to bring out, I think a lot of people like about our organization is that each of our clubs are autonomous. I mean, we operate under the, the umbrella of Optimus International, but each club in its community uh, does what the community needs. So my club functions a whole lot different. My club's in, in the Sandy Springs area of the Atlanta metro area. Uh, Russ is incoming. Well, we do different, different types of projects. We have things like oratorical contests and essay contests and our golf program and things like that, that we do, uh, you know, that's an international program, but each club does things in the community uh, that fits what is needed in their particular community. And uh, our particular club, just very quickly, everything that we did, the pandemic has was, been, been a real eye-opening experience for us because we're an older club. We've been around about 35 years. Uh, all of our projects were hands-on. We, we're a hands-on club. We did Easter egg hunts and Christmas parties and bicycle programs and all kinds of things out in the community. Well, when the pandemic can't all hit all that went away. Well, we had to, we decided, well, uh, we need to figure out a way because we want to still, we can still serve the community. So we just completed uh, an online uh, video con, uh, bicycle uh, giveaway uh, video contest where a child uh, was asked to do about a one or two minute video uh, about why they, what, why they would like to have a new bicycle and how they would ride it safely. And then we used the uh, Facebook 
that was uploaded to Facebook, and we used the Facebook uh, likes and shares in order to determine a winner. Whole new way of looking at things. Uh, but uh, the neat thing I think about our clubs is is that we we work in the community that we we operate in or that we the, the members live in, and most of our projects are. Are, are community oriented for community oriented in that particular community. So uh, we're not doing all the same projects. We're doing what the children in that com community needs. And I agree with that statement completely. Cause uh, like I said, who thought that you could raise money from a bunch of volunteers putting yellow paint in a parking lot. And people love what we do because they know the money stays in Great Falls. Even though we pay our international dues, we have a local board that decides where all that money goes and they're voted on by our membership. And obviously there, you know, you can move up into different leadership positions and it's crazy to think how fast we can go from, you know, our local level to where our district level to our true international district. And, you know, talking about international Dave, back to you on the history. Do you know when one of the first internationals, like when we truly became international was, and all of the well, I, I can tell you exactly. Uh, January 22nd, 1924, when the uh, Toronto Optimist Club was started in Ontario. And uh, it, it was quickly followed just within a matter of months. In April of 1924, the Hamilton Club was started, which is to this day the oldest existing club in uh, Canada. And so that would be our oldest existing international club would be the Hamilton Club. And then you mentioned earlier Edmonton. Something that I think is just remarkable is that as soon as the club in Toronto was built in 1924, word spread across Canada. And some folks in Edmonton, Alberta, read an article about the Toronto Optimist Club. Well, back in those days, we think that it was hard to travel. Some ways it wasn't as hard as it might be today, they hopped in, four gentlemen hopped on a train, went to Toronto to check it out. They liked it. And so the following year, 1925, the first Optimist Club in Western Canada, the Edmonton Optimist Club, which I think today is the Edmonton Dinner Optimist Club, uh, uh, but it's still in existence, uh, was started. And I, I just love the the fact that these gentlemen took it upon themselves to go and to check out this new type of club. And it also shows you just the desire for our philosophy, for that optimistic philosophy and for helping our local communities. And, you know, it's just not, it's not a coincidence that, that we're so community oriented. That was the intent from the start. I mean, you know, the old chicken and the egg, which came first? Well, we know what came first in Optimist International it was clubs. Optimist International is basically a trade association of our clubs. And uh, we're here as, a, as an international organization to assist our clubs and to help our clubs. But the clubs, as President Nick pointed out, are autonomous and serve the needs in those local communities. So, uh, and then uh, as I mentioned in Canada, in 1938, uh, the first club was uh, built in Quebec, in Montreal, and that club was a bilingual club. And then in 1941, the first uh, French-speaking club, uh, completely uh, conducting business in French, was the Quebec City Optimist Club. And so uh, we have a, a long history of, uh, of being international. But one of the things I did want to point out about when they started, if you look 
either in my book or, or wherever you might find it, the first program of the first convention, it's called, it's labeled the first annual Optimist International Convention. Well, there's a couple words there that just stand out that shows me they were true optimists. One is they said first annual. So they didn't expect this to just be, we're going to get together in Louisville, have hang out, have fun at the picnic and take a nice picture that we'll all get to see a hundred years from now. Uh, they believed that it would go forward. And the other thing was, here's a group of, of gentlemen, primarily from the Midwestern United States, that had the audacity to put international in their name. And it wasn't because they were just, you know, bragging or prideful. It's because they truly wanted to unite the world. And today, I'm happy to report we have 28 uh, countries that have Optimist Clubs, and we're on five continents. And we should be proud of that fact. Yeah, speaking of, you know, international, do you remember this third country besides the United States and Canada? Do you know the third one off the top of your head? To come yeah, in? right. Um, in, 19, in May 1940, a uh, club that spanned the United States and Mexico, the Pan American Optimist Club of El Paso and Juarez, Mexico. And they were unique because uh, perhaps border crossings weren't so difficult back in those days. They met on both sides of the border and they helped both communities. So they helped the community in El Paso, Texas, and a community in Juarez, Mexico. And then the uh, next one, uh, well, there were uh, some affiliated clubs during World War II in England and Australia. There was also a club during World War II started in Puerto Rico, which technically is part of the United States, but it was uh, a Spanish-speaking club. And then one that I always uh, find fascinating, in 1947, we started our first club in Havana, Cuba, and we ended up for many years having three clubs in Havana, Cuba. And after Fidel Castro took over in 1960, those clubs could no longer be affiliated with Optimist International. But I've been told that some of the baseball programs started by Optimist in Cuba back in the 1940s still exist to this day. It's just amazing how a local local people can make that much of a difference. Because look, you know, when you look at it, how many people from Cuba play professional baseball in the United States? I mean, it's just a complete full circle around of how we're, we're coming back to all the stuff. It always starts at the local level, and that's something that I am so I'm so thankful for this organization because they really do focus on our local clubs. Um, you know, I know we have some international programs. I know such as oratorical, we have our prestigious junior golf that people uh, such as Tiger Woods and uh, Phil Mickelson have won that's in Florida each year that it wasn't last year, obviously, because of the pandemic. But, you know, going back to our history and, you know, chime in on some local stuff, because I know our local program, the oratorical is especially one that's fought hard to get into. We had a gentleman here when I was president in 2018, 2019, um, it was his 40th year being in, helping with the oratorical. I mean, wow. to be with that program that long, and we were so fortunate because he was a teacher in our Great Falls uh, School District, and he worked with those kids every week to make those kids repaired. And we have a huge banquet after uh, to have a competition where they're judged by members of our community, and then they win the local contest where they move on to our district because there are. Uh, a few districts in the uh, in the United States and Canada, but moving on, you know, 
do you know anything about the oratorical or the history of that with Optimus International? Sure. Uh, first of all, it's our oldest scholarship program, our old, oldest uh, youth program. Now, we could talk about Junior Optimist uh, as well at some point, but Junior Optimist, I don't consider that a program. That's a membership class. Junior Optimist are optimists, just like adult optimists. And so that's a little different. But so if you're just talking purely programs, the oratorical contest is the oldest. It uh, was started in 1928. Originally, it was just for boys that uh, belonged to junior optimist clubs. And uh, the finals up until 1970, or right around that time, maybe 1971, uh, were held at the International Convention. And there was a scholarship given, and then later three places given. But you had to make it all the way to the national contest in, in, uh, in the United States or Canada. Uh, but then in the, in the 1970s, the Optimist International Foundation, which funds a lot of our scholarships, and the Canadian Children's Optimist Foundation, subsequent to that, uh, committed to giving district scholarships. So the contest that we kind of know at the district level today has been ongoing since about 1971 uh, with the awarding scholarships from the at the district level. At the same time, uh, it was opened up to both male and female contestants. And since that time, uh, it, there, it's included both the boys and girls. And then in 2016, we added the uh, regionals and world championships. And now, of course, the overall winner has the potential of winning up to $22,500 in scholarships. So uh, the scholarships that we award as optimists uh, and that's one of the benefits of, of belonging to an international organization where we can have those type of scholarships. Uh, optimists have given literally millions and millions of dollars in scholarships and oratorical essay, uh, communication contests for the deaf of hiring hearing and other uh, programs that we have. You know, I always wanted to say that number a bunch of times, you know, $22,000. I mean, I always get excited when I hear that. And, uh, you know, here in uh, Forsyth, uh, Georgia, and coming Georgia, uh, we have two clubs, uh, the Sonny Coming Optimist Club. Got to put a little pig in there for them. <laughs> and the, the uh, uh, Forsyth uh, Coming Optimist Club, of which we have, a you know, 100 or so people that's a member of it. But the, the oratorical contest has always been one of our big and most favorite programs. As evidenced by uh, last year, we had about 5,000 children participate. And our largest year so far has been 5,800. So the uh, superintendent of the schools of Forsyth County actually helped build this uh, contest into the core curriculum of, of about 30 high schools and middle schools. So it's pretty exciting for us. And believe me, it takes all the volunteers that we can get to make that program work. So if you want to help children in your community, hey, join up with us, Optimus. Help us with our oratorical contest test. Uh, because that $22,000 sounds awful good to me. And I think anybody could, uh, could uh, you know, use a little bit of that cash because we give awards at the local club level, the district level, and, and international. So, I mean, what a great program. And that's just one of the exciting programs we've got. Uh, and, you know, I, I, we could go on forever. How many, I, you know, I, I see Denise sitting up in this corner. Now, me, she's up in my left-hand corner. So for full disclosure, I want to let you know that we have a woman in on this uh, on this podcast with us, right? So uh, 
But that, doesn't that bring us to something, Sean, about women and the Optimist organization? I mean, that, that, that reminds me. What is that all about? So I know it was a later on in the uh, later on in the history of Optimist International because I know uh, they didn't allow women in the club until 1988. Am I correct on that fact there, Dave? Well, 87. You're close. Close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. <laughs> and optimism. And optimism. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, I think uh, as I did research on it, especially because my my mom, you know, something that just means a lot to me is, as I indicated earlier, my mom belonged to the Optimists organization. And, you know, we always hear about optimist, 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 and we don't hear much anymore about optimists. And so I did a lot of research on that for my for for the book uh, because I knew she was just as much an optimist my entire life. When in 1987 women could join, she immediately joined and she became the first woman to be president of the Kansas City, Kansas Optimist Club, which is one of those original eight optimist clubs that form our octagon of Optimist International. So to me, that all means a lot. So I, I looked it up. We actually started having what was originally called Ladies Auxiliary Groups in 1921. So within two years after our founding, uh, and it started with the Kansas City, Missouri uh, Optimist Club's Ladies Auxiliary. And uh, they first were organized to help with the International Convention in 1922 in Kansas City, where the Optimist Creed was adopted. And uh, they've played a very important role for the past 100 years. Uh, and so this, in some ways, is 100 years of women being involved in the Optimist organization. And then in 1924, they officially became the Optimists organization. Of course, they were the spouses of, of optimists. Uh, now, after World War II, you know, things changed. We had Rosie the Riveter. We had a lot of women that were going out and uh, either enlisting in the military or helping at home on the home front uh, with uh, supporting the war effort. And after World War II, many, uh, a lot didn't want to admit it at the time, but many uh, Optimist clubs started to admit women into their membership. And what I found out to, from talking to some of the old timers is what they would do is uh, if their name was Betty Jo Smith, they would just turn their name in uh, to Optimist International as B.J. Smith and nobody asked any questions. Uh, but the Optimist's organization was also very strong at, at that same time. But to think that women just started helping optimists and uh, becoming optimists in 1987, they've been around for a long, long time. And then I'm very proud of the fact that, and I won't name the organizations because these other organizations do great things, but a lot of organizations literally had to be sued in order for women to admit it into their organization. Our organization voluntarily admitted women. And a matter of fact, our board of directors in June of, uh, or I think it was actually before that, maybe in uh, uh, May of uh, 1987, went ahead and invited women to join, even though they didn't yet have approval of the delegates. And on June 24, 1987, we had our first all-women optimist club, the New Hall Santa Clarita Valley Optimist Club in California, all-women and that was before the convention in Montreal in which the delegates ratified uh, women joining Optimist. Uh, so uh, we have just a, a rich history. 
And we were the first service club organization to have an international president that was a woman, Ronnie Dunn, in 2006. And of course, since that time, uh, Rebecca uh, uh, Butler Mona in uh, our centennial year, 2019. And then next year, we'll have our third woman as, as international president. So I'd like to think we're in front of the curve, even though we weren't as quick as we should have been. Yeah, it's a pretty exciting thing. I got to tell you, the, uh, you know, we can't underplay the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the difference that, that the women and the men have made, uh, you know, if you're a woman optimist and your husband's, uh, you know, kind of in the background, we can't underplay, uh, uh, how much and how important they are in supporting our families and, uh, the direction that we got that, you know, that we go. So, you know, so many, uh, women and men that play in the background make a big difference for our organization. We, and we thank every one of them. I, I, I got to tell you from the bottom of our heart, that's what makes us tick. A man can't go out, you know, a couple of times a week, you know, uh, doing those uh, programs unless his wife says he can. Right, right, Shane? Uh, I'm learning that as a newly engaged man. So thank God my fiance is supportive and has joined the Optimist Club to be right there with me. And I'm thankful my wife is an optimist as well. <laughs> Would you say it's a fair statement that the Optimists and the Optimist International kind of merged together officially in 1980? Well, well, it wasn't officially, but unofficially, I would say yes, because I checked the numbers uh, anticipating this question. And from June 1987, when women were first admitted until June of 1988, that first year, 6,000 women were admitted into Optimist International uh, and I would have to, uh, if I was a betting man, I would bet that uh, many of those 6,000 have been optimists. And it's my understanding that that first all-women optimist club was primarily uh, women that belonged to the optimists organization. So we should, as we, you know, we want to move forward and do new things and create new things and build new things, but we should respect our heritage and we should remember that optimist as organization since uh, the women have been uh, with us every step of the way. You know, it's funny. I always hear stories. They always talk about when women were first admitted into the club and especially at my local level, our uptown optimist club, uh, the guy that was so against women joining the organization was the first guy that actually sponsored a woman member in his club. And everybody <laughs> said, what is your, what you were, he's like, doesn't mean I can't lead the way. <laughs> So um, going back to some of our program stuff, I mean, uh, moving you know, forward on stuff, I know like uh, the childhood cancer campaign was a huge deal. Uh, is there any history on that in, our, in your book, bringing like the childhood cancer campaign that Optimus International sponsored? Uh, yes, uh, there is. And uh, actually we've been involved in uh, the fight against childhood cancer since the 80s. But it wasn't until probably the 90s where we kind of went out on our own. And then uh, uh, Nick may want to talk about this a little bit because he would be familiar with it as well. But one of the most exciting things we did is establish a, a, a childhood cancer oncology fellowship at Johns Hopkins University. And uh, originally, I think we committed, and Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think about a million dollars. Yeah. It was amazing. And since then, we've given a lot more. So I don't know if you'd want to talk about that just a little bit. Well, it's just that, uh, you know, we uh, one of the things, a big commitment that we made was, to, of course, to uh, 
uh, wipe out uh, childhood cancer. And uh, so Johns, we went to Johns Hopkins and uh, uh, this happened during the presidency uh, year. I think it was a, a Dwayne Seavers was the president. That was his passion, his, his focus. And uh, so we, we went to Johns Hopkins, we said we would raise this, um, this money and it was to sponsor, of course, a re I guess it's called a research chair, but in particular doctor that uh, does specific research toward uh, uh, eradicating uh, ch childhood cancer. And uh, it it's just absolute, it's a wonderful thing because there's a video out there, which maybe we can actually uh, find that. There's a video out there of a young woman who was actually uh, uh, cured uh, of, of uh, cancer. And she... Uh, 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 on this video, she and her parents uh, talk about the optimist and what the the optimist uh, or they felt that the optimist did in in, in order to uh, extend her life. And matter of fact, she was at our uh, and we brought her to our international convention. Uh, I think it was in I believe it was in Denver. We had a convention in Denver several many years ago, and she came there uh, to to speak to our our delegates. So and this program uh, really uh, it's ongoing, and uh, we have. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know how much money we have put into it, but I, I know it's uh, in excess of a million and a half that we've put into that. And what's exciting about that program is that, as, as we talked about earlier, it's not only do we have this international program where we're funding research to fight childhood cancer, but there's so much done on the, on the uh, club level. Things like uh, providing bears to uh, children in the hospital beads for each time they receive a chemo or radiation uh, treatment. Uh, a lot of Optimist Clubs sponsor childhood cancer camps. Uh, and, and that's, again, something I think that's remarkable about our organization. And some people will ask sometimes, well, what's unique about your organization? And I think one of the real unique things is not only do we support things at the international or at a national level, but we support things hands-on at the local community. And I think childhood cancer uh, is one of those things that is just a prime example of that. Well, you're right, Dave, because recently we expanded that program. I'm glad you brought that up. We expanded that program because initially the monies went to a specific, uh, to our foundation, to a specific fund uh, to fund uh, childhood cancer research. But we recently expanded that to a more of a wellness program. So that clubs are able to to actually uh, do things in the community as you just discussed. And I, I think that expands, it makes the program even more impactful in the communities in which we, our clubs serve. No, I agree completely because our, our club has a person that is the actual childhood cancer chair person in our, in our situation. Her name is Stacy Murray and she has done an outstanding job and she has taken that role over for some, from someone that had had to leave our community, but you know she gets to know these families with a one-on-one -on -one, uh, basis, and it's it's amazing how those kids become our kids because we get updates how they're doing. They send us, you know, thank you letters, and they always give us updates about how they're doing. And the money that we raise, we have just alone budgeted twelve thousand dollars a year to help people pay for gas to get to uh, Seattle or Salt Lake like to see their children one family they were they didn't have good tires on their car and we paid for new tires we put on their car just so they could drive the 600 miles to seattle and you would not believe 
when they just give you that hug and they say, thank you. Thank you for helping me and my family. And those kids come in and they're just the happiest kids you've ever met in your life. And they've probably gone through one of the most negative things that, and that you could ever go through. So, I mean, that's on, like I said, a local level. And that's why I'm so thankful where our club, along with Optimus International, we have that ability to help those kids on a direct basis where, you know, our, all of our money isn't going to one big coffer to be spread all over. We actually get to meet these kids and see the impact we're having, which inspires more people to join our club and go out and do more in our community to, 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 so they get to know these kids on a one-on-one -on -one basis where they become our kids. I don't know if Shane, anyone can comment on that. Shane, could I maybe uh, expand on that even of how the local, the connections can help. Uh, when Edie Harris was, uh, was governor, she was one of my governors when I was international president, she asked me about, is there any way that a local family, uh, and I, I can't remember now if it was in Saskatchewan or, or uh, where exactly, but I think it was, one of the local families with a child with cancer was going to Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. And is there anything that we could do to help that family? So we got in touch with uh, Liz Jackson, was the governor of the North Florida District at the time, which covers Jacksonville, Florida. And they were able to put this family in touch with Optimus there and, and that, that whole family connection. So here's the child from Western Canada going to Florida and being embraced by an Optimus family. And that was just one of those just touching stories that, that I think are so important. And as Nick mentioned, we have expanded it to wellness. For example, our friends in the Caribbean district have really embraced the fight against autism. Uh, other districts and other clubs have really embraced the fight against juvenile diabetes. So it's not simply childhood cancer now. It's, it's basically probably the official term would be pediatric health care, but childhood wellness. And speaking, you know, we go, we, we use all this stuff. I'm, I'm sure some of our listeners that are, I know we're touching a lot of history right now and we'll probably get into the good stories on more programs to come. But when we talk about, uh, you know, delegates and all this stuff, let's, let's all really go back. And so they understand what we're talking about because we use a lot of abbreviations and a lot of names that all of us understand you know, such as like OI stands for Optimus International or the, a in my case, the AMSNW, which is Alberta, Montana, Saskatchewan, Northern Wyoming. Let's touch base on just a little bit where how we go, some of the things we can do to, you know, inform what, what we're talking about. And like when we go to an international convention, because I, I went to my very first international convention in 2019 uh, in Louisville, Kentucky for our 100th anniversary. And I was just amazed there was probably and you can correct me if I'm wrong, 2,000 people in the same room as I, there for the same reason of making our communities better. And just the energy in the room is mind-blowing to me to this day because I was there with friends. I obviously met Nick in person instead of on the telephone when I was uh, <laughs> a president that year. But um, I'd, I'd like to inform our listeners of what some of that stuff is just so they understand what we're talking about. And anyone can comment on in on this one. You know, I don't use a try not to use a lot of buzzwords myself, and one of them uh, them things with a lot of letters in it. But uh, you know, I think the real, uh, the real, the real uh, 
important thing that we have as an organization is that we, we use regular terms, you know, we, we believe in help and we believe in friendship. We believe in love, caring, uh, compassion, forgiveness. I mean, those are the types of words that, that we, through our optimist creed that we're going to talk about in the future, uh, you know, brings home the, what we, what we do and, and how we do it. So, uh, I, I, I don't, I try not to, and I found out I fell into that trap many times before I'd start rattling off stuff and about that, but the one second into the conversation, people's eyes would glaze over and they go, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. But when you talk about friendship and love and helping and caring, you know, people know what you're talking about and you talk about optimism and how you feel. And that's a lot of what it is that we have to give to the communities that are out there. We can give optimism and hope. And, and as a group, uh, all of us are dedicated toward doing that to make a difference in our community. So, uh, you know, I, I, I just try and stay away from those big, the, the big letters with a lot of stuff on it, you know, so it, it's a little different for me. Well, I think uh, one of the things that, and I, Dave mentioned it in, in, in talking about, it, we are a club driven organization. Uh, one of the things that, that, that happens at our conventions is that the clubs decide on the direction of the organization. We're kind of the, they call it the, kind of the inverted pyramid. Instead of the president being at the top and the board and all this, it really is the club. And the club uh, determines, uh, you know, what we do. Matter of fact, and I, I think I'm correct on this, Dave, and uh, some of the, pro a lot of the, pro number of the projects that we have as we adopted as Optimus International projects started at the club level. I know the CCDHH, which is the Communications Contest for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing, I've forgotten which club uh, actually started that, but we adopted that as an international program. But that's what's so great about the convention because the convention is where the clubs come together to determine the direction that this organization is, is, is going in. And uh, uh, it's, uh, and Dave might wanna talk a little bit more about that because uh, he's more adapt to the resolutions and all the different kind of things that happened there. But I know the first time I went to a convention, I've been going for over 30 years. Uh, I, I was blown away too, uh, Shane. It, it, was a great, it was a great experience to see how this organization works. Right. I, I don't know that we probably want to get into governance a whole lot, but but I think one of the things that is so important, as Nick said, is the fact that, and it goes back to, to why we were founded, is there were clubs beforehand, and God forbid something happened to Optimist International, there would still be clubs. You know, we are not a top-down driven organization. We are driven by our clubs, and it's our clubs that are actually the members. So when you go to an international convention, you are a delegate representing your club and the interest of your club. And of course you wanna look out for the overall good of the organization because we believe around the world, we're doing great things in individual communities and helping children, but, but you're coming in from the perspective representing your club. And you're absolutely right, Nick, that uh, I just looked at a few of them. Uh, some clubs participate in the TriStar Sports Program, for example, well, that started as a program in Dayton, Ohio, and in 1971, it started as an international program, first with, with uh, basketball. And now it's added all kinds of, of other sports. Uh, a lot of clubs still participate in the Respect for Law program. That was a program that was first uh, uh, used by uh, clubs in North Carolina, and then in 1965 was adopted as a uh, Optimist International program. 
And then even though it's not really a program, it's a class of membership, our Junior Optimist Organization was started as uh, we indicated in 1920 by the Milwaukee Optimist Club. It was started by an optimist club wanting to help at that time what were called delinquent boys in the Milwaukee community uh, following uh, World War I. Uh, because of the pandemic and because of uh, World War I, the economic conditions were terrible. Most of their parents were working outside the home just to make ends meet. And these kids were left on their own. And so the Milwaukee Optimist started Junior Optimist. And then later St. Louis started a Junior Optimist Club. And then it just grew from there. And, uh, and then in 1988, the Junior Optimist organization created basically their own organization under the umbrella of Optimist International, what was called then Junior Optimist Octagon International, going back to those eight original clubs, but today is known as Junior Optimist International. So those were all grassroots, club-driven things that were embraced by our delegates, which are our members at Optimist International Conventions over the years. Yeah, it's pretty amazing some of the programs and, and the ways that we uh, reach out and touch the communities out there. Uh, you know, I, I think the uh, opportunities for, for everybody that's looking at our organization is, is pretty well, un, you know, it's unlimited. There's, there's just no limit to the amount of things that you could do in your local community and for the kids and, and the, the people of your community. I heard rumor that, that uh, you know, they even talking about starting one of these programs where they got a broom out there and it, it sweeps on some ice and some <laughs> little round ball or something does something. So, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of neat that, that our organization can see and, and touch some of the local things that are being done. And, and make it work for the benefit of children and everybody around. What is that called anyway, Dave? I believe that would be curling. And yes, oh, we, we uh, have been actively in support of curling, which has now uh, been adopted as a program of Optimist International after many years of uh, sponsorship by a lot of Optimist clubs in, uh, in, in particular in Western Canada and the Northwestern part of the United States. But uh, no, uh, it's great to, to add that as a now a recognized program of Optimist International. And something I always tell the potential new members, if they have a passion to help youth and there's a particular way they do it, you know, let's say mountain biking, whatever it might be, uh, this is your perfect opportunity because you've got a core group of volunteers that share your passion to help youth and you can focus them in that area that you that you care about. And that's another reason why it's important, not only for the new members, what they get out of Optimist International, but more importantly, what we get when we recruit new members, we get those new ideas, we, we get the new projects, we get the new programs, and who knows, at some point, they could be embraced by all of Optimist International. I do wanna to touch on one thing, and we keep talking about the local level on stuff. Each club sets up how they meet to decide what they're going to do. I, I want to let our listeners know who are, you know, just tuning in, looking for something the first time. I know our members know what we're talking about, but um, I'll start this off and then move to the U, to you three to figure out what you guys do. But we're traditionally what's called a dinner club where we meet in the evening at 630. A lot of people show up between 530 and six o'clock after work and have a couple of drinks as we sit and all socialize. And then we kind of move from that place into the 
meeting room where we conduct our business and have usually a program and might have something to eat. And then after we conclude our business for the evening, we go back to the bar and have a few more cocktails before we all go home for the evening. So, you know, it's, it's a more of a social event that than people realize because you can get to know your fellow members a little better. And then obviously you set up time to do different things of what you're doing for whether it's the oratorical or uh, fundraising for something for that week. But I mean, I'm traditionally a dinner club. Russ, what does your club usually do? Pretty much a, uh, well, we used to be a dinner club. Now we're an evening club, but uh, you know, that, that curling you were talking about, same kind of curling I was thinking about, but I didn't, I, I, just a different kind. I think uh, we don't use brooms at my curling meeting. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> looks like I might've froze up there. So I don't know whether you guys can still hear me or not. We can still hear you, but uh, now I think you're back. You're back live. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we are, we, we meet, uh, we meet in the evenings and then our, our Forsyth uh, uh, club, which is the the uh, what we call the morning clubs, we have an evening club and a a, a morning club that allows uh, people the opportunity to be able to uh, take advantage of a charitable organization and and meet the needs of the community and kids uh, that that don't play by all the normal rules. And we even have uh, you know some local uh, uh, lunch uh, clubs too that uh, meet at lunchtime. But there's always a time and there's always a way that if you want to help your community and children that you, uh, we can afford you the opportunity to be able to do that and make a difference. So, uh, and I think Nick, what are y'all lunch or? Well, we started out as a breakfast club. We are now we're a morning club, but, uh, one of the things that we're doing, which is uh, very unusual because as, as we've been describing here, uh, our club, most clubs, you know, it's a meeting, uh, it, uh, we usually have a meal, uh, have a program and those kind of things. Well, our club is going through, uh, uh, I guess you say a metamorphosis. We're moving from a meeting type of club to a more of a project oriented club. We meet twice a month in the mornings, uh, and, and really they're planning sessions rather than, you know, meals and things like that. We actually get together and we plan, we're planning what we're going to be doing in the community because we're really trying to move more into, uh, being known. I mean, all clubs are known for their projects, but that we are really, uh, primarily a project oriented club. We, uh, so our meetings are really for planning and that type of thing. And then, uh, mo you know, our, our, we, when our, we have social events where they are outside of our, our, uh, club meetings. Yeah. Did you used to sell, tell me something about, a uh, eat, drink, burp or something and then go home, Nick, didn't you? I mean, oh, we, we, yeah, they, some, it was a friend of me used to say, you know, eat, uh, meet, eat, Let's see, uh, meet, let's see, greet, meet, eat, and burp and go home kind of an organization. And uh, he was used to describe his club. He said he, he was not that kind of club. But uh, uh, our, our situation is we've always, uh, you know, uh, planned good projects and things like that. But we decided for because particularly a lot of the uh, younger people are not really, you know, they're not really, that's not their orientation. They want to be working out in the community. And so that's what we, why we are changing in order. So we have a variety of age groups that come in and want to be part of our club. And, and my clubs are pretty similar to that as well. I mean, they just, you know, we, I belong to two clubs and they both are, are noon clubs, but the Aletha noon club that I belong to added something a few years ago Kind of the, I think at the time we called it the club within a club or a satellite club. We we have within it the optimistic happy hour volunteers, and uh, 
there's a lot of younger people, but there are also uh, retired people who do not like to go to business meetings. They meet on social occasions, but what they do mostly is uh, support projects and volunteer for the projects. And uh, for example, uh, with the Olathe Noon Club and this optimistic uh, volunteer group, uh, just completed a playground project uh, with the help of a lot of uh, local businesses at a uh, local underprivileged elementary school. And so there's so many different ways, back to your point, Shane, of how optimists can meet. And there's no set cookie cutter way that you have to do that. As long as we're fulfilling that ultimate objective of being the friend of youth and, and helping children in our communities. Yeah, and that and that's a that's a wonderful thing about our organization. Uh, you know, we got the we got a we got a real young guy on here, Sean. Uh, Sean, you're down there in that corner. You're on mute, but I know you're there somewhere. But uh, I, I wanted to kind of let you know, say hello to Sean, and uh, uh, because he uh, he's bringing a fresh a uh, little fresh perspective on on what happens and what do we need to do as we move forward with our uh, optimist organization. So you got the young guy, Sean, not quite as young guy, Shane, and then three of us old guys on here, but I wanted to let you know, as an organization, we just not a bunch of old guys, right, Sean? No, you guys are not. <laughs> no, you're not. Uh, Russ, I think there's two old guys on here. <laughs> I don't think Dave would consider himself an old guy yet. <laughs> I, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> Well, Sean, isn't I mean, Sean, your perspective on uh, on meetings and things. You're, are you the type that likes to go spend a you know a couple hours at a meeting once a week? Or, and uh, you know, I, I got a feeling that might be a little different. Uh, yeah, so it's difficult for yeah kids around my age to like go to a meeting as like Nick pointed out that it's not we don't want to sit there and listen to a meeting or have a social kind of event it's or social meeting it's more of a we want to do projects so what nick has going on is a great great thing that they have meetings but they're planning sessions that's that's what our generate or my generation likes is that we go in and we do the work we want to do the work we want to see the impact we could care and i hate to sound rude but we could care less about like the the organizational meetings and like the bylaws updates and such while they are important aspects we don't necessarily care about that as much as more as the working type and for someone in my age right now i just have a full-time job and I, most of my meeting or most of my clubs in the area, they meet in the morning time, like 7.30 and I'm already at work. So I'm, I'm hoping that someday we'll transform some evening meetings like what you guys have. So that way I can come after work and join and or like do projects or something along that lines. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, we've got these Zoom calls and things that are kind of working out kind of neat. It's a, it's a little different for a lot of us older old folks right nick a little different yeah. than all these zoom calls but but I, I think it's important to understand that that as we bring in the you know our new members and and we get some more shines and we get some more shanes that you know our opportunity for change at the club level is is is, is pretty pretty good uh you know we we're a, an organization that does change frequently as needed we're we're not just that old club the way it was you know I, i'm sure that we've changed quite a bit since uh you know, the, the grandfathers of optimism was here and, and we got a new perspective on on what part of the community we need to serve and who we need to serve. So it's pretty exciting to be able to move, uh, you know, in a direction that 
that we can entertain and engage uh, younger members like Sean and Shane. So uh, we appreciate you guys, and I just want to let you know that. Well, I, if, I, if I wasn't having fun, I can tell you I wouldn't be doing this. So I'm having lots of fun. Yeah. So, well, I think we're kind of running close to our time here, but uh, I think this is a great way to start off our Choosing Optimism podcast. Of course, we're going to keep expanding as we go on to different episodes. Um, we touched a little bit earlier about the Optimist Creed uh, when we were doing some things, and that's kind of Optimist International's words to live by, that I, as I've always called them that. And we're going to start the series Living the Optimist Creed for our next episode to move forward and kind of explain so people can understand what optimism does for you uh, in your community. But also we want to move in and let people know that there are good things and good people in your communities all over the United States doing things in your community. And we're going to focus more on those as we get closer uh, to more episodes here. But uh, I know that when we start end our meetings in, uh, at my club, we always recite the creed at the end of uh, the end of the meeting. And the first two lines were, are the same. It's promise yourself. And you go into the first line, which is promise yourself to be so strong that nothing can disturb your peace of mind. And so with our next few episodes, we're going to do the touch on living the optimist creed. And our first, uh, first one will be to be so strong that nothing can disturb your peace of mind. And if we have any optimists listening to this, uh, we'd love to hear your stories on that and seeing how we're going to, you know, we, we want to focus local club levels on what they're doing across the United States. Um, I'll turn it over to, for final comments to any of our guests and co-hosts today. Before we... So we, you, when you got this group together, with probably no shortage of words to be said, right, Nick? But, right. <laughs> uh, you know, as we, as we move forward, you know, uh, if we surround our, ourselves with people that make you feel good, that make you feel good about yourself and support you and give you a positive word. You know, your life is going to change. And as an optimist, our lives change daily uh, with the uh, beliefs in our optimist creed. And, and when you think about that, uh, I, I thought it was interesting. There's a 10 commandments, but there's also the 10 commandments of the optimist creed because there's 10 lines of that, uh, that there. So, uh, you know, as we move forward, uh, be positive and look forward to seeing y'all on our next, uh, next, uh, uh, podcast, right? So, Nick? Yep. Well, uh, one of the things I'd like to say, Shane has said, uh, different people, but whether you're an optimist or uh, you certainly want to talk to optimists, but if you're not an optimist and you have a good story to tell uh, about uh, being positive in life and uh, uh, things that have happened to you and your how your positivity and your optimistic outlook on life, we want to hear from you too. So, if you uh, hear this podcast and you uh, think you've got a great story to tell, get in contact with us and we'll we'll uh, give you a chance to tell your story on our podcast. Yeah, I, and I assume at some point we're going to probably try and make this a regular podcast thing, you know, so if we uh, work down the line that uh, uh, you'll be able to depend on on us and, and uh, great speakers coming in and uh, telling you about the things that we do. And uh, certainly would like to thank uh, Dave for being on our inaugural uh, podcast. Uh, you know, we appreciate this wealth of information 
But I got to tell you, I know that guy will never run out of words because anybody can write a book that thick. <laughs> it's it always got something to say. That's all I can tell you. So uh, if you haven't seen that, and, and Dave, I assume you're still either still out there on Amazon, but uh, or, you or can somewhere. buy it on Amazon. You can uh, uh, also, uh, if you don't want to have a book that heavy, although that is good for another type of curling. Uh, <laughs> You can buy it in, a, in an e-format. And I just want to thank you, uh, Shane, uh, Russ, Nick, uh, Denise behind the scenes, uh, Sean, for uh, putting this together, for inviting me. Uh, I think it's important for us to remember talking about definitions that optimism means the best. And that's, we're not a bunch, if you're interested in optimist clubs, we're not a bunch of uh, unrealistic people sitting around thinking the world's perfect. We are people that are working each and every day to make the world better. And that's what it's all about. Oh, I agree completely. And uh, uh, if you are interested in, if you haven't joined an Optimist Club yet and you are interested in joining one, make sure you check out the Optimist International website. It's optimist.org, where somebody will get in touch with you and you can look up local clubs uh, in your district if you want to join an Optimist Club. Or maybe you have a friend that said, been trying to push you, hey, come check us out. The Optimism Club, even though we look towards the future and want to make the world a better place, we are realists where we're out there actually making that difference in our communities. That's what the that is, a, the, I want to push that point is that we are making a difference. We're not sitting on the sidelines saying, this is so horrible and it's too bad we can't do anything about it. Optimists are the ones in the trenches making a difference and truly making our communities better. Wonderful. And thank you. And with that, I'm such a sucker for inspirational quotes. I've always, uh, I would like to end this podcast with uh, an optimistic quote that I have always lived by as well. And it's tomorrow is the most important thing in life. It comes to us at midnight, very clean. It's perfect when it arrives and it puts itself in our hands. And it hopes we've learned something from yesterday. That was from the great John Wayne. And I just can't live that enough because every day we need to wake up and choose to be optimistic and choose to make the world a better place. The choice is yours. And that's partly what this show is about, is that we are going to be choosing to make a difference in our world. Well, thank you.